the record, right? Cheers. Uh, welcome to Off the Record, episode seven, uh, season one still. Um, this is Nick and Trey, and we're chatting about music production, life, creativity, the creative process, and the balance of, of all of that into one single life form on this big old planet in this giant universe within this, this you know Milky Way solar system, and we're just trying to float along and get by on our own. So uh, if you feel insignificant, you are, and we are too, and we're just trying to make connections to maybe feel a little bit less insignificant than we uh, know scientifically that we are. We are nothing. We have nowhere to go. We are worthless. And that's it. But we're pretty good friends. <laughs> but we're good friends. What more do you need than just have some good friends? Good friends. Yeah. So last time on Off the Record episode six, we talked about um, quite a bit. We talked about our... Worst show ever yeah. on Halloween, which it's it's October second today. We're on, when we're re- recording, uh, it's uh, 2018, and I think that was literally 2010. So eight years ago, yeah, eight years ago was our worst show ever. Uh, thank God we've put that well into the past. Once this past decade, we will forget it forever. Maybe um, we also talked about uh, Justin Beretta with Glitch Mob and his music production. Project. Project with Ram Das, which was super dope. Go check that out. And we also th- talked a lot about um, st- shows we've done in the past, little gimmicky things we've done, uh, mm. like sort of ways that we've made our shows more exciting. Yeah. And then that, that shows are a special opportunity to create a, a memorable environment for your fans. Yeah, and we did that with a bunch of different things, and uh, we highly recommend it. Go ahead and do that because that's you know that's what's more fun. It's more fun when you do gimmicky things because people remember that. If you're standing there and playing music, uh, God bless you. Um, if people are super stoked, uh, we are very happy for you. But for the rest of us, where <laughs> you're playing shows where people are bored as fuck. Uh, maybe put on a freaking costume and dance around. Have some fun. Build a rocket ship. Be the idiot. Be the idiot in the crowd and on stage because that'll make everyone else feel better. Yes. So that was episode six of Off the Record. But episode seven of Off Off the Record, here we are. Fresh new stuff. Fresh new content. New questions asked. New new answers uh, given, I think. Do people ask questions? Uh, nobody asked questions ever. Uh, the only question we've got so far was about, what was it? Logic. Yeah. It was like logic. How does that work? Pretty much. It's like, okay, you got to ask a question that has an answer that can be given within, you know, an hour. <laughs> so um, if you're looking to get into Logic or Ableton, <clears throat> check out their trials. And uh, Ableton has a trial. I don't know if Logic does. But Didn't they used to have a light version you could get for free. Logic? Yeah. Or, or Ableton? No, Ableton. I believe Ableton does. Is it like basic the, stuff? Yeah. The key in these programs is to like stop watching tutorials. Just stop. And just open the program and start making something. It can be terrible, 
but just start making something. Lay down some drums. Use their use Logic's drum creator. You know their drum, whatever yeah. the hell it's called. Hokey drums. But but they even have better they ones work. now. And they then work. Open up a synthesizer. Maybe you play some notes. Maybe you loop them. Maybe you keep going. Maybe you're now a musician in Logic. Or I do recommend to. getting at least one uh, MIDI keyboard, though, if you're going to do mm-hmm. any, any synth stuff, um, <clears throat> just because that helps. Doing the, the keyboard typing. The, 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 Command K, by the way, in Logic will open your keyboard to become a key, uh, synth okay. keyboard. Type type MIDI. T- yeah, it's... Uh, what is it called? It's not a good look if you're in public, for sure. Don't take that to a show. I wouldn't recommend. We've both done that many no. times. No. <laughs> Dude. Hey, we've never... Not during a show, but like no. in public. I've done. I've definitely sat at a coffee shop and oh, done the sh- musical typing yes. for sure. Yes. Okay. Because I didn't have anything with me and no. I had to get I had to get something in there. Totally. Okay. In public at a coffee shop is different than at a, if you're playing your key your QWERTY keyboard at a show, I guess if it works, then more power to you. It's not going to be a good time for you, though. You don't want anybody seeing that. It'll take a lot to pull it off. And there's a lot of buttons that will ruin your life. Like, if you hit R, on, if you're playing in Logic, it'll start recording, which you don't want. Yeah. Don't do if you hit, uh, there's, if you hit A, you're going into the automation. It's like a lot of, a lot of hurdles. Um, Trey, what do you think is the most valuable thing that we have either acquired or found out in Logic or Ableton? What, what are the what are some things that you that you think that now that we have them or learn them that we could not go back? <clears throat> the thing the thing is is like we've always been good at just like dorking around on synthesizers and beats and all that stuff. That has never been a problem with us. That's what we've been doing since the beginning, mm-hmm. right? But m- mixing that to where it's like the the mixing part of it, I think, is the most. It's a game changer for if you're just laying down track like tracks on tracks on tracks in your project. Like mixing them is what makes it sound like music. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, it's all in the same ranges and like everything is like conflicting with each other so i think i think all the all the stuff that you've learned with mixing and i'm I'm like really getting into that now um eqing stuff and just sort of putting everything in its place that's what kind of makes it into something that sounds like it's not terrible yeah, in Ableton, if you're writing music in Ableton, which we used to do and we've stopped, we're not discrediting the value in writing in Ableton. I, I've still done some, uh, I'll st- I've done some mixtapes, like kind of DJ mixtapes in Ableton, and I've written a couple songs in Ableton in the past couple years, but most of our tracks are all in Logic. Um, but in Ableton, when we started, it was very easy to lay, laying down tracks, laying down track on track on track, like you said, and like just to to come up with some concept to to make the drums, make the bass, make the synth, make the lead, make the put put in the whatever, vocals, whatever put in the vocals, which which we never really even did in in Ableton. Yeah, which we, we tried to do that when yeah. we were recording our al- first album. 
Ableton's just not that great as a uh, as a DAW. It is not a true uh, audio work workstation. What is that? Well, it is for it is, but it depends on what you're doing with it. It is. It's not a great. Rec- it's not a great like studio recording interface software. Yeah. It's great for DJ stuff and like EDM kind of stuff. Or if you even have your your acapella recorded, yeah. you can drop it in and you're golden. But yeah. um, and, and and there's there's no doubt that you can record in it, record vocals and stuff like that. But Logic is more centered around the like the recording studio experience, whereas Ableton's more of like a like per, a, it's a production production. Yeah, we had. I'll be honest, like we had, I had a very hard time recording in Ableton. Yeah. We, we had a very, we did. We did as in, I'm, sh- like we, I'm sure there's a way you can do it, but it probably yeah. takes a lot of expertise, which we do, did not have and probably no. still don't have. But, but regardless, uh, one of the things that I, I will say a couple things actually that we found to help our production value, um, one of them, is uh, with synthesis, we're using Silent. Silent is a val- invaluable plugin. Uh, we have a set of presets that we are going to be sharing soon. If you're interested in our presets, uh, why don't you send us a send us some love or something? You can hit the applause button in Anchor. Or uh, tweet at me or Trey. Um, are in checking the description for our links. But uh, we we love to share those. Able, uh, what's it called? Uh, Silent is really valuable because it's probably one of the simplest forms of complex synthesis. Yeah, you can do a lot with it with not a lot. Not a lot of understanding. And it, com- it comes with a lot of presets, which is which is great because if anybody like. If anybody owns a synth, like you really value like the presets because that's kind of a starting point for like making something new. It's hard to start. Building blocks. Yeah. It's hard to start from a raw like waveform. Totally. And then build it into something really cool. Unless you are very confident. And if you are, God bless you. Uh, We're, we're happy you're here. Um, but I don't think most of us are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Starting with presets is great, and it just gives you somewhere to jump off from. Um, it's and it kind of like you, you start to like tweak with stuff, like with a preset, and then you start to learn a little bit about how the waveform works, how filtering works, modulating all that stuff, like how yeah, the isolators. Yeah, silence is like a really um a really good t- tool to learn synthesis because it's kind of super straightforward like we've played around with massive before massive is powerful but it's confusing as fuck like it i still have a hard time figuring out what the fuck's going on in massive it's not very clear but silent is super clear yeah um maybe not as powerful as massive but it's a good go to for for just like when you you have an idea of what the sound you want. And then like once you learn a little bit about synthesis, it's really easy to get that result mm-hmm. um, because everything's just really straightforward. Yeah. 
both of us, we, we learned on the microcorg. That's or and you had the X50. Um, and that's kind of like how we started learning about synthesis and, and, you know, messing with stuff and learning all the, all those different presets and stuff and values changing stuff. Microcore was valuable. Microcore was really valuable. I, when you, when we first got the micron, the Alesis micron, I remember I spent some days with it because I took it. Yeah. And then I remember playing with it in the, uh, at a place where we had a big sound system where I got to have it on the loud, the whole loudspeaker. And I was playing with all the settings, trying to figure it out. And I didn't, the problem is that when you're given a tool, like a synthesizer in, in a real place, you will most likely default to going to the presets because there's so many, like in the Micron, there were so many that you could flip through all of them to just find cool stuff. And that is your project. Mm -hmm. It becomes your project to just search. Mm -hmm. And that's a waste of your time because you're not doing anything. You're just exploring. Exploring has its value, but you have to, Shift that your your focal point. Shift your focus from from exploring what your shit can do, which you should know, to how to make the uh, the micron or whatever you're using work for you. Yeah. And so I when I had the micron for a minute before, I don't even know why I had it. I remember I I had it and I was I don't know why <laughs> I don't even know why well, it was we, right after you bought it. Yeah. And well, I was playing with yeah. it and I just flipped through the things and played through all this stuff and found all these cool ways to trick out the presets. Yeah. Not, not anything much deeper than that. Well, if, yeah. The thing that's weird about the Micron is like you can do a lot of um, modifications just with like the knobs and stuff on a preset. Right. Yeah. And like the sliders, all that stuff does, it does something. But when you try to, go in and program yeah. a preset, you're literally going, it has a little screen, little <laughs> tiny screen with like one with line. like a hundred settings that you literally <laughs> go, you take the knob and you notch through every single possible setting for the, for the preset. And, and then you can save yeah, it. From it's like, you're... okay, now this one, and then you turn the knobs. It's all like knobs. So it's like it... there, there's a numerical value assigned to every single setting, but it's very tedious to go in and change anything. And a lot of the stuff, and because the display is so small, a lot of the stuff is like truncated or like abbreviated to where you don't even know what it is. So when you're like, I do not recommend the Micron as a starting synthesizer because it's very confusing. Though I will say the presets are great. Yeah. There's some great presets. We actually, uh, with the Alesis Micron, we played, we were playing a show in Colorado once. Not a terrible show, but our computer, and if you listen to the last episode, you'll hear that we were we were playing through it with Ableton like a bunch of bozos, uh, and our computer kind of froze up a little bit when trying to play a song yeah. and with the micron um what did, what did you do you well there's there's a there's a beat uh synthesizer on there as well so you can do 
like beats. You can do like a beat with uh, with one button. You can yeah. you can hit the beat. Yeah. So so what we did is this song, our song just did die or died or didn't load, whatever. And Trey just threw down a beat, and then we were we just played through it. Yeah, like we literally played the track. It was very hollow because our track was well, maybe our yeah. track was probably terrible, but uh, and we played through a, this song kind of minimal with his uh, with the micron playing the beat, which was kind of it was fun and she, it pro- we proved to ourselves that we were flexible. Yeah. But it, that we, actually that that's actually a really valuable lesson that we learned is that if we can throw together something on the fly under pressure, we can do fucking anything. Which is a good uh, a good lesson to know that if you're producing music or if you're play, if you're actually planning on playing music live, having some concept for what the backup plan is. Yeah, because a lot of uh, you know when bands have a backtrack, they don't need a backup plan because the band is the backup plan for the backtrack. And if the backtrack fails, well, want want now you're just a band, <laughs> and that's like that's the best backup plan ever uh, for the bands like us who <clears throat> us or DJs or or any sort of electronic music productions. It's like the the backtrack is the plan and the backup plan is the backtrack to just work and if it doesn't work like what do DJs do when the when the uh when their SD card or their SD their their thumb drive that's in the um turntables the fucking DJ DDJs or whatever they're called doesn't work it's like there isn't one yeah. you fucking fix it yeah. And so uh if you have a synthesizer or something that can play the the beat and you can like we did we had a me that could play the synth yeah. we that is our backup plan and thank god we had that because that played the song. Yeah. And if anything it actually made our yeah. our fans but and you, friends You don't you don't even need a love beat it though cuz there was one there was another show where our computer crashed and wasn't working which that that actually happens a lot um not in, not anymore we, we figured our shit out when, before we knew what was but going before, on but there there was a time where where we were we were playing a live show computer crashed it was fucked we were like god damn it not again and we were in the middle of a song and we didn't even we finished the song, but acapella with piano mm-hmm. because that was what we had. So <laughs> yeah. we, it actually turned into a special moment because it turned from this like fun, dancey song that we usually play. And it turned into a really heartfelt, um, acapella piano, not acapella. If there's a piano. That's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Like it, yeah. it, it was, it was just bare bones, piano, vocals, and that's it. Pseudo acoustic. And we both like you, you sang, and I, I backed you up, and it was, it, it turned into this like slow, um, heartfelt song. Yeah. And it was actually interesting to, <laughs> on the fly, play that song in a totally new way, Be- because we knew we knew the song. You knew the chords and you knew the lyrics and that's all you need. So yeah. as long as you have some sort of 
method to produce to play the music and sing the song you're pr- you're probably good to go that's yeah. a good plan b and as a musician as us us as musicians like it's probably good that you know how to play the song <laughs> without the beat because that's what yeah. If you're a band, you know, we're, we're, a, we're technically a band. Mm. We don't, we don't, we produce a lot more than we play. And that's nice because playing is, takes a lot of work. And we put in the work in the production and then we put in the work into the production of the show, which like we said, costumes, excitement, projections, uh, videos, all that shit. That's a lot of work. And then when we play the show, we try to m- definitely, I try to minimize the effort because that takes away the risk. Yeah. Um, we still do play, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's wise to know how to play your songs, uh, without, and be track. able to do it like on the spot as the track is failing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it almost creates yeah. like in, in, our experience, it almost creates a a sort of uh, connection with the audience that you otherwise wouldn't have because they're like, oh, shit, their shit is failing. So, yeah. oh, but but they're still playing and see, it's yeah. pretty good still. And it's like it kind of creates this situation where that like people feel bad for you, but they're also kind of impressed because they're like, oh, they actually like like they're they just keep going. Yeah, they they're still going. That it is a special moment when, when it all falls apart, but you don't let the experience fall apart. Yeah, for because them. you care enough about the experience that you don't want it to end for whoever no. you're sharing it with. No, though, those times sucked. <laughs> for yeah, but, us. We, but that's between you and me. me. Totally, we keep We're that. sharing it with you because this big... is literally off the record. Okay, <laughs> jeez, get off my we bag. Put a big smile on our faces. Yeah, and then later we cry in each other's. Well, arms. we just yeah, we it's, it's tough. Um, I do remember speaking of failed moments. There were there were some moments uh, we played some shows. I'm not trying to like just talk about our failures, but but it's good to talk about failures because we've all had them and everybody everybody wants to hide them. Nobody wants to talk about the biggest failures. So the last the last episode is about our biggest failure, but another little failure before we move on is uh we played some house shows back in Colorado where we had our Roland uh drum machine, which I believe it was the 909. That looks familiar. Not the 808. It was the 909 drum machine, which is a rhythmic, a rhythm composer. And we set up our... <clears throat> it was something similar to that. Very close to that. I think it might have been that. But uh, we had a pedal. We had our, chi- our uh, different scenes set up for each song. And we had a pedal that triggered the song to play. Um, it very... It felt very analog. Uh, but it was a, you know, whatever. So we're playing this house show that was very mellow. Back in the day, we only had this little drum machine thing that we had programmed. And then we had a uh, keyboard and our, our um, mini, our core, what is it called? Micro Uh And then vocals. So it was super simple. And of course, like a fucking idiot, I'm controlling the pedal to start the song. 
So we're playing these songs, and I swear, this one time, I think it was at at Mercy's house. No, I think it was a. Oh yeah, you're right. Well, that was a whole other shit show because the power kept going out. The power was also going out the whole time, which was another thing, which gave me an out to not be the total fucking idiot of the show. (laughs) But we were playing the show, and of course, like when you're playing. As a musician, you're kind of tapping your foot, you're into the beat, you're into the music, and then all of a sudden you realize your foot is tapping the pedal that starts and stops the music. <laughs> and if you stop the music, the next time you hit it, it's going to start the next song. <laughs> so we just so I hit the pedal while we're playing in songs, and it would just, the, the beat would, the, the, mind you, it's a, drum, a hardware drum machine beat. It would just, it just cut out. And then we would have to awkwardly, like you said, but this was no, not gracefully at this point, it was not gracefully have to kind of finish the song in some way and then have to move to the next song. And I believe that that happens more than once. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. It was not great. Uh, But that's the the, the extent of our (coughs) failures. <clears throat> live failures at least uh that was the that was early very yeah. early, early it was <clears throat> that was before any software came into play yeah um but so only only i was to uh blame yeah those are the moments though those are the moments that like you you could kind of flounder a little bit but if you if you can think on the spot and get it like figure something out to make it work. That looks like it goes over really well. And it reinforces the, the idea that you know what you know what you're doing. Totally. Right. So like we've had several of those moments, but I, I feel like every time we've come away from those moments with positive experiences and, and good, good feedback even though it was a failure. So it's not worth being <clears throat> super afraid of failing because as as long as you have something to offer, as long as you have something that you're passionate about that you're offering to the people who are listening to you or whatever, um, it'll work out. And it's not that bad. Like people get it, and it—I yeah, don't know. It's just we—we've never had a bad, like a bad experience when something like that happens. Well, and you know the the I think that you're you're hitting on something that we are all people, and and when you are able to, when you're able to play a perfect show production wise. And sound wise, and it sounds better or as good as a, as an album, and it's almost shocking because I've been in shows like this where you are outside of the room and you hear the music, and it it literally sounds like an, a CD, yeah, like a perfectly produced CD, and you walk in, it's so perfect, but then the show's fine. Like I've been in shows in Colorado where you walk in, it's like, wow, it sounds so good. And the show is just a fucking show. The value in music live is humanity. It is the human 
element. And so playing shows perfectly doesn't give the the uh, the viewers, the um, fans, the whatever, the show goers, show goers, whatever. It doesn't give them anything special. Like you're you're actually doing them a discredit. Like in doing things on the fly, gives them the sense of human human the human element. It's on a human, stage. yeah, like a human yeah. connection. Like and, it's like, oh dang! Like and, and the mistakes are what def, what kind of set you apart from your album. If they if they they're there for you, they've probably listened to your music. Yeah, and if you play exactly the album, you're not going like what they could have just heard that. If yeah. if it's perfectly your album, the special element is like, how do you act? If you act super you know, uh, with, you're withholding a lot of energy and you're just standing on stage being mysterious and whatever, and you're just playing perfect album sounding music. Why go to the show? I could, I could put on the, the disc that we released back in the day. Nobody, nobody buys out CDs anymore, but, um, and sit in your room in the dark and you could, that's as much. Stare, stare at a poster. That, yeah, exactly. That's as much entertainment as a disc would give you. But it's it's the the flaws and then the eccentric little mo- moments like dressing up like a robot yeah. or dressing up like a dinosaur or failing miserably dig- with a digital uh, technology, but then being able to pull through with the physical self because we know our tracks or they, whoever the band is, I'm not trying to project this onto us as, as if we're like the saviors of our own demise, (laughs) but whoever, whatever band you love knows their tracks and they play it because they only play it because they want to share it. Yeah. And if the technology fails, they're still going to play it because they want to share it. Yeah. That's the special part of playing live. Yeah. And I imagine that a lot of like probably any bands that are, that are like that where they, they play and it's literally like CD quality, whatever. They've probably they've probably played shows where everything fell apart, and those shows are memorable for everybody, the musicians and the audience. So it's like it's not worth it to be afraid to fail because if you're if you're into what you're doing and you pull through it can create a special experience for everybody, including you. Yeah. And you learn from your mistakes and you become better. Everything is just a step to the idea of perfection. You'll never get to perfection. You'll never be happy with your shit. No. Enough to where you think it's perfect. I don't know. Maybe you will. But, but it's a curve. It's an exponential curve yeah. that you'll never reach the top. Your, your taste and your ex- expectations of yourself only grow as your skill grows. Yeah. So here's a question, Trey. Uh, I love, I love, and you love Seager Ross. Mm-hmm. They're a band that plays quite literally behind a curtain at live shows. Mm. So, so what do you think about a bit? Like I have to imagine that they do a lot of improvisation. Mm-hmm. Um, but Playing behind a curtain takes the attention off of the band uh, or off of the performers and puts the focus on the music. So um, 
like what do you have any thoughts on on that mentality of performance um i've never seen them live but i i have talked to people who have and i f- i feel like their style of music it's kind of ambient and like like it's kind of serious it's not serious it's like the it, tone of the emotion is it's it's emotional yeah, yeah. and it's it's big and epic and heavy and it's um well composed and all that stuff and it, i feel like their their genre or whatever they are the style of music that they play sort of invites people to indulge in the experience of the 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 sound you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i feel like they kind of get a pass if they're if they're behind a curtain and and not really engaging with the audience because they're known for creating music that is sonically engaging you know what i mean yeah i also think that and maybe i'm wrong but i believe that they're a band that plays all of their stuff live yeah i don't think i don't believe that they would use it i don't from my understanding of their tone uh i don't think that they would do stuff on a backtrack maybe no i don't think so I don't I, think so at all. I'm curious if like Yonsei play came and played not that long ago. And Yonsei's music is so dope. And I love him and his uh he is the lead singer of Sigaros. Mm-hmm. And he did a side album, which was so good, and his his album was called Go Do. Yeah. I think. Yeah, but he recorded a lot of that himself. Well, well the whole here's the best part of the whole album. He he had this idea for an acoustic album. And he was going to go into the studio and record his acoustic album. And then while he was in there, as we all do, all of us musicians, you can't help yourself. You get in the studio, you lay down your track, and you're like, well, what if we just put this in there? And then you do that 40 times, and then you have an orchestra playing behind every single track. And that is how... And then you get into a spot where you're like, well, it's not quite what I what it could be so i'm going to tweak it for fucking ever but yeah to make it to make it at the, yeah this epic freaking song that i've created now it doesn't quite fit the right way so instead of this epic track i'm going to spend yeah 4 weeks tweaking so it's just as epic as i think it should be even though i never thought it's it like, should I've be i've already gone this far so I might as well make it great. Exactly. And I don't think he had to do that because he had, he hired teams to do that, but his album is dope. Uh, I think it's called go do, right? Go do. Yeah. Yeah. That might be the name of this, the the title title track. Well, if it's a title track, it shouldn't be called the same thing, right? Uh, whatever. So Yonsi, um, I'm not sure if his live album would be the same, like or live performance would be the same. Or his album was called Go. Go. But it's very good. good. We have a song called Go. We do. That we released after he released it. He released Go in 2010. What the fuck, man? No, that sounds about right. That's insane. That's insane. I we've been in Portland for eight years. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, I feel like I heard. Maybe I did hear that in late 2010. 
but that's a great album. Um, but his but his album has so much stuff in it that's not by him. I'm curious if when he when he played, what who, who played all that shit? Like there was so know. much good instrumentation yeah. in that in that album. I think what this boils down to is that I don't think it's wrong to have a backtrack if you're a band. I don't think it's wrong to have all that extra stuff that you produced playing somewhere. Yeah. A lot of bands don't like that. A lot of indie bands in particular, especially Portland bands, if you don't play it on your crappy freaking... Six string. Yeah, you, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. Then don't play it. Like they're, It's purists, but the real purist is the one that plays what they envisioned as their track, as their song, as their, as their message. That's the purest. If you envisioned a track where three harps play in harmony with a fucking kazoo and a slide whistle, that is the purest. And if you don't have the slide whistle and you have to put that on the backtrack, I don't think anybody's going to be upset that you had a backtrack. People get upset when somebody has a backtrack that has 15 vocals and... Yeah. Who knows? It's like, what I'm else. sorry, I don't travel around the fucking yeah. West Coast with 18 people to yeah. sing on stage for one song. And maybe the lesson in that is that if you're going to have background vocals in particular, vocals are a sensitive topic because we as humans connect with vocals as individuals. So if you look on stage, and maybe there's only two dudes like us, me and Trey. And you hear maybe five or six vocals, you're going to be confused and maybe upset because psychologically you're trying to connect them with individuals and you don't see those individuals. That's okay. Listen, we're trying to make an, a m- musical production for you. Yeah. And we're also in fucking costumes. So give us a break. Just close your eyes. <laughs> close your eyes. Okay. Don't look at how upset we are because our computer is probably failing. And uh, enjoy the ride. Though, with all the tracks we have now, our computer does not fail. <clears throat> Anyways, on, uh, on the subject of Sigaras and Yonsei, yes, um, there was a documentary made where they took songs off their album, and some of the songs that they played, they stripped down quite a bit. Like there was, uh, there was a song that they played in an old church where there was just an organ and they brought in some other instruments and it all, was like all in Iceland. Yeah. And it was, it was, I forgot what it's called. It starts with an H it's some Icelandic word. I can't remember what it's called. We'll, we'll figure it out, but I highly recommend watching that documentary. They basically take, um, Hapapoya. I think that's it. Poya. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce that, but look it up. It's a documentary. The thing is, is they take their songs and they, a lot of them, they strip down. Um, but they also have songs that they play on that, on that movie um, that are like full band on stage or whatever um, behind the curtain. Like you'll see that um, they play one song inside of an, like an old, like silo so it's actually a fish processing plant. Yeah, like a fish processing plant where they they set up in this huge metal enclosure and there's like a ton of reverb because like natural reverb from the from the space. 
um, they play in an open field where they just literally have just some that's interest, my, instruments. That's my favorite. And it's you you can hardly hear the epic radness of the music, but it's still there because they brought instruments out to this field. There's a bunch of people just sitting in a circle listening to them play. And like, I don't know if you've ever played music outside, it's kind of like weak (laughs) because there's so much space. Like there's not, there's, you're not in a room where like the sound kind of reverberates within the room. If you're outside, it just, the sound is lost to the void of the atmosphere. Yeah. And the fact that you can bring out instruments and create something that sounds epic in open space is an achievement. Yeah. And there, sure. there's like a mathematical equation for sound, uh, sound system designers to plan for the amount of subwoofers and main, like main loudspeakers for an outdoor uh, space. Yeah. And like the, the, the amount of subwoofers in, in general that you need for an outdoor space is so much higher, <clears throat> so much more than an indoor space because there, there's nowhere for the sound, for this low end to bounce. The low end frequencies dissipate so quickly in nature. Yeah. Because it just, it just gets sucked up into nothing. Yeah. Well, and, it's it, it's elongated. So, like, if you're really far away, you can hear those wave those waves. Sure. The the low end, because it's so long that it, like, re- it reaches, like, really far away. But people that are standing in front of the stage or people that are standing around the the music that's they just, happening. Yeah, they need it the It just bounce. goes right over. Yeah. But like if you're if you're standing really far away, you can. That's all you hear is the the lower the lower sure. frequencies and stuff. It's really interesting. But that documentary is called uh, Helma Haima. That's what it is. Haima. H e i m a. Haima. Thanks for looking that up. You yeah. should totally. I think it's, it's on on YouTube for. Yeah, yeah. just search, just search for it. It's H e i m a. Seeger Ross. S i g u r. If you're into music. R o s. If you're into music, it's a really good uh, show. It's a really good movie to watch just because they take so many different... They they, they, they present their music in so many different perspectives. Yeah. And, and, and it's inspiring as a musician to watch musicians break, like break down their music or like expand their music. And, like they, yeah. and it kind of goes back to what we were saying where it's like, you can literally just sing and play piano and the song becomes something different than what it was. Yeah. And it like it it creates this whole other mood with what's happening. Like we had a fun dancey song that we played just piano and vocals and it became something that's that was more emotional. And it it's it's valuable to in like takes music that you've written or music that you know and like reimagine it in a way that's a little bit different. Well, it's like we said, when our show fails, when our shows used to fail, it's like you have to reimagine on the spot what it can be, not what it is, what you can make it. And so like this, they do a great job of showing what a world tour, the, 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 the whole documentary is a post- right after their world tour 
and showing them playing a little bit in the synopsis they talk it talks about them playing from a large outdoor festival in in Iceland which they threw these outdoor festivals that bounced from location to location but to a fucking coffee shop yeah in in Iceland because Iceland's so small that's like they just play there and people like it and it's chill and dope um they have to reimagine the way they play based on the audience and and the location and we had to reimagine how we play based on you know the, the how everything's going at a show and if something fails we are there on the spot fixing rapid realization of what our show needs to be playing the parts we need to play live because we want to give an emotion that we're trying to express. And it's almost like a test to this, to the music itself. Like if you can present the music in a different way, but the idea holds true, the idea was good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, because the, the production of the music isn't the idea. The idea is is simpler and probably more powerful than that. Yeah. And the, the idea of our music <clears throat> is very simple and very powerful. And so if we played that with a guitar, which we did, we have played it with a guitar and vocals, let's say. It's like that the simplest form of your song should should still carry the weight and power of the themes that you're trying to convey. Yeah. And uh because the way you the way you or we we write is that we try to write songs that really uh excite us and and express our feelings about what's going on in our life or what ha- what has gone on or a twist, you know, a twist on what's going on in our life. Um, and that doesn't need to be complicated. Uh, A while ago, I shared the story of our albums with a, with a couple friends. I'll say, I'll say they're a couple friends, a couple people. And I told the, the grand story from the beginning to the end and back. Yeah. And they literally started crying because it's heavy. Yeah. And we haven't really shared that yet. And we're going to share we're going to share the cyclical story of our music, the full thing, in our next album. Yeah. And, and when we share that album, we're going to share how we got there. And this, is, this whole podcast is kind of a leading up to that. Yeah. And we want to share the real heavy parts of this concept that has left us broken. And through that brokenness, we have found who we are as creators. Like we, you, you have to, you can't start out as a fully thought out thing or person. You have to break yourself down into the parts and then put yourself back together. And that's where we are, I think, in our process. Yeah. We've literally, through our albums, torn ourselves apart in every way possible and through every, through every like escapism mechanism escapism mechanism possible to now we are we understand who we are yeah and we can look at ourselves in the way that uh we can appreciate and so like 
only then can you then tell this story of the, the process, even if it's the story we've created. Yeah. That's the crazy part. Cause a lot of our music production is, is, or our music storytelling is now been transferred into the, into the bubble of the reality that we've created. And we yeah. talked about a little bit about shifting your, uh, hardship into a bubble of creative inspiration a couple episodes ago maybe episode four maybe or yeah. three but um but once you do that you really can leverage it as a power rather than letting it bring you down in the in your life because hardship is real everyone goes through it get over it make something great from it <laughs> kind of songs yeah write some songs <laughs> from it yeah. Uh, yeah um yeah so we're excited to share that part of us yeah then like because that's going to be a big moment that we're we're stoked about stay tuned that's yeah. there's it's a whole thing yeah it's a whole thing and our goal and we'd love to hear from you like how do you if you're a music creator how do you share your ideas behind the album you share your music and you throw it into the void. You throw it on the pile, as we've talked about in previous albums or previous uh, episodes. You throw your stuff onto the pile and it's all part of the creative uh, conglomerate. Yeah. Um, so how do you add value to that? Do you um, write a blog? Do you have a podcast like we're doing? Uh, our goal for the new album is that we're actually going to do a SoundCloud uh um, commentary we're going to do a commentary behind the album each song we want to talk about we want to add the value through there so you can hear the songs as they're playing but also hear our thoughts and and then we can kind of uh, give uh, the f- bigger picture context as well and I'm not sure if we can tell the whole story in, in the SoundCloud commentary we'll have to find we'll have to <laughs> Figure out a way yeah, to tell the whole story. We'll probably share it. Right, the whole here. story is yeah. a, it's it's kind of a thing, and it it's fluid. Like we're kind of always kind of adding and taking away from it as we're writing stuff. Um, but there, there's an overall structure to it where we kind of know what's going on, and a lot of that a lot of that story influences like some of the lyrics that we write and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the story is influenced by the lyrics that we write. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a beast. Like it, it influences what we write and we, we, what we, what we write sort of changes the story, the context a little bit, but that's, yeah. that's part of the whole thing. And we're kind of, we're kind of out of the woods a little bit. On that story. Yeah. For the most part. But the problem with life, and especially when you're a creative writer or creator, is that everything is tied to you. And so that story in particular is so ingrained in us. Yeah. That it's hard to move past it. And you, you can't really help yourself either. Like when you start writing something, like you can't help but be like, hmm, how does this fit into other stuff that we've done? How does this fit into the narrative of, of the other songs that we've written? Well, and the narrative we've created is really fun yeah. for us. Yeah. It's really grounded. It's really We thought it out so well, and it's so emotional that it's like, why the, 
like we need a new thing. Oh my God, it's perfect. This will fit in the, the, the story like this because the story is like this. The next point in the story could be like this. It's like easy. We've got a narrative that, that just is sitting there waiting to be used. Yeah. And that's the easiest thing. But so that's another thing I'd love to hear. How do you guys uh, define new narratives in your story? How do you move on from one narrative to another without um, without cross polluting? Is that or or you know cross? Is that what the word is? Or without um, crossing streams? Without crossing streams? Yeah. Like like if you want to move on. Like we you, we can't live in this narrative forever. We can't live in this this uh, this one instance of the narrative forever. So, especially with our new album, it's it's about it's about defining a new narrative. Yeah. So we can't live in the, the old narrative. It's no. literally about saying that this is okay. Yeah. This this narrative is all right, and so. Yeah looking back on that like we if you're still trying to to reference that we're we're doing exactly the opposite of what we are saying we're doing <laughs> right i guess which, which sounds like something that we would do yeah well it's like well we're not supposed to be here but it feels real good right in this this yeah narrative. i think you're right though like we're kind of we're kind of at peak narrative right now our all the all the music that we've written so far has sort of had vague context and then like everything new that we come up with is like a little bit like oh this is kind of like before this is kind of intertwined with this idea and it just keeps building and building and i i feel like what we're working on now is like a statement of like all of it is relevant and this is what it is and I feel like once that's out and we've shared it, I feel like that sort of wraps it up and we can move on to the next thing. But even even too, even some of the new stuff that we've been making, I'm still thinking of ways that it fits into the story. Oh, me too. But but I think that's okay. I think that's where we're at at this moment is okay. I I it's just a, it's a really big challenge to start to start something new. Yeah. And we've been trying to finish this thing we're on for years. So so like we are we are at a point and we're not afraid to admit this that if you get stuck in a it's not a rut necessarily but it is like a groove. <laughs> it's a it's a rut. It's a rut. But if you get stuck in the rut of it's a, like it's a predicament. Yes. <clears throat> If you get kind of in this space where you're trying to get stuff out, but you're also trying to be creative and create new things, and it's easy to create new stuff. New stuff is fun, and there's no, there's no kind of like there's no responsibility. Exactly. It's like, it's like, oh, I just made this thing. We don't have to use it, but it's awesome, but and it's we cool. should. But we could, and we don't know what it's about. But it doesn't matter because yeah. it's new. But See, then, you, like, but then you start listening to like stuff we've been working on for years, and we're like. We have to do something about this. Yeah. We have to fix this. We have to finish this. It's like you've already committed so much that like so, new stuff is like just like 
it's a summer fling, you know what I mean? Yeah, and the, and the problem is this, is like if you work on your existing stuff so long to get it fixed up and to release those new ideas, those new concepts, and sonically, tonally, will then become stuff you're over before you ever even get to experience and share it. Yeah. Like some of our tracks, I know... We're never going to release because we came up with them too quickly after the album we're about to release. And that, and it's because the, the idea was great then. And if we didn't release it within six months of then, it wasn't going to happen. And yeah. it probably won't happen. And, that, yeah. and that's just... And six, or, I mean, fucking, we have, we, have, <laughs> we have six times, like we have six six-month segments of creation that we will probably never release. That's or we'll come back to it later years. and spend two years developing into something that's good enough, <laughs> and that we will be really like kind of will resent it for holding us back because we're trying to make it work. <laughs> exactly, and that's kind of the the challenge of creation. Like when you're working for a company and you're producing anything, like let's say a big project, a big development, a big whatever, like. What the hell takes five years? You know, not not a lot of things. A giant, an enormous real estate plan. Yeah. Like, or or launching a fucking NASA thing to Mars. You know, like, not a lot of things take that long. But the the delicate nature of creating something on as a pastime that you're sharing with the your community and and the world is is I, I think a rare instance that does take that long and and you have to just it keep, can take that long it can take it that long it doesn't have to take that long but 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 it, but we are human and yeah. if we, and if we weren't human like we said if we were robots and we played our shows perfectly like the album it's like that d- people don't care it's you hear it great that's great. I like. I do like, or I do not like. I do like. Great. It falls in that category. You listen to it. They have a show. Okay, I'm gonna go. And then we, pl- if we played it perfectly, like the album, it's it lacks the the human element, and that's why we're trying to tell our story through podcasting because we want to give people insights to that the timeline. Yeah, the human timeline of a. Uh, independent type of production because it, because the stories along the way are what are really fun and interesting and the music itself is just a part of that yeah and we can't even write we literally can't even write enough tracks in our whole life to fill up all the the fascinating facets of our life yeah we could try though and we will <laughs> And we will be here talking more than we will be producing for 40 more years. Yeah. Until we're ancient and sweaty and saggy. So in, in the, you know, the spirit of us talking about the journey of our creation, we're going to share a track from our album, uh, Twin Paradox, which was released in 2013. Uh, check us out on Spotify. Ask you and Gray, Twin Paradox. The Road is a song that we wrote about, it's literally the concept of, you know, the destination is not 
the best part of your life. It's like the journey is the valuable part. It's like enjoy the journey because the destination comes and goes, but the journey is most of our life. Uh, so this is The Road by us featuring our pal Brian Brunt who is in the band Sucker for Lights and a couple other bands in Portland. He is super talented, guitarist, vocalist, drummer, freaking bassist. He can literally play everything. And uh, in this song in particular, he plays guitar with us. The Road.
go see we see what we did <laughs> um this just it's it shows that the idea of the song it can be stripped away and it can be raw but the song is still there and the meaning behind the song is still um effective right yeah and that the again like the yeah, the the heart, the tone of the track, that is what's more valuable than the production. And especially looking back, when we look back on our oldest tracks, it's like the the production is the weakest part because we we are all growing. We're all expanding our knowledge of how to make things sound right. But yeah. the heart of the track is is sound. 
and it is pure. And like that it has not changed this track in five years since we released it. Probably six years or five and a half years since we wrote it. Like the, the meaning, which is just being present on the journey. That is it. It's like everything else, like you think where you're going is important, but it's you going there that's important. What's there doesn't matter. And like uh, uh, the tone of that is more valuable and however we can communicate that, that's powerful to us and hopefully to the people that hear it. But like the the backtrack can fade away and then it's just us raw. Yeah. And that's that's powerful to to me. Yeah. The road. It's all about the road. It's all about the it's all about the journey. Yeah. And the road is just one way to get there. Um yeah. So uh, I think that's it for tonight. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna close it off. This is uh off the record with Nick and Trey. Um thank you for listening to episode seven. Uh, we will be back next week for episode eight. Very exciting things to come. Big news, I'm sure. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> and we will, uh, we really appreciate you listening. Uh, if you're listening, you can please subscribe and, and uh, leave us an applause or leave us a comment if you're listening on Anchor. And um, share with a friend if you, if you feel like you want to, if you feel like they could listen to something like this. We are really trying to connect with not only music producers, but creatives and people who are really dealing with trying to communicate any type of message. Because the message and the road, the journey to share that message, that's what's interesting. And your journey is interesting. So we'd love to hear from you about where you're going and what you're doing and and what you're making. We'd love to see what you're doing. So share that with us uh, on Twitter, on Instagram. Check out the description for our links. Um, This is Off the Record. October is here, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. This is off the record, right?